We have been in the book of James for the last seven weeks, and we will complete that series uh, probably next week and maybe the following week also. But today, while I'll be referring to James' epistle, we're going in a somewhat different direction. Something the Lord has put on my heart to share. And even though we're going in a different direction, at the same time, what I want to share today is very much what James is all about. We entitled the series on James Walking Out Your Faith. And we've seen how practical this book is in its instruction. It challenges us. And in the second chapter of James, he hits at the heart of what he's saying in the entire epistle. In verses 14 through 26, James explains that genuine faith in Jesus results in works that demonstrate that faith. Nearly the entire epistle teaches the readers and hearers how to practically walk out the faith. And in a key verse, James chapter 1, verse 21, or 22, excuse me, the apostle writes, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Ryan touched on that in his message from James several weeks ago. We've said in this series how the book can be compared to other books in the scripture, Proverbs being one in its instruction on wisdom, but it's also been compared to the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, as we have said, was the half-brother of James. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke about many ways to demonstrate one's faith. If you've been here in the past months and heard my preaching, you know that when I preach, I usually just pick a passage of Scripture and sort of do expository teaching or preaching from that. But today I want to read several passages of Scripture. I'm going to be reading a lot of Scripture, and I want to let Scripture speak for itself more than anything else. I'm going to begin with reading a passage from the Sermon on the Mount and then another passage from Exodus and then from Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. I'll be referring to some other scriptures as well, but if you want to turn to each of those passages, we'll read them to begin with. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21 is the first passage. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. I have the ESV, if you're in the NIV Pew Bible, it should be very similar. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The next passage is from the book of Exodus, going from the Old, New Testament to the Old, and I'm going to be reading from chapter 35. First we'll read the fourth and the fifth verses, then jump down to verse 20. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, 
let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze. And then he goes on to name precious cloths and incense and oils and jewels. Skipping down to the 20th verse, it says, Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And then finally, the 29th verse, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. The last passage we'll read, at least at this time, is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. Paul, speaking to the Corinthian church, says this, beginning in verse 1, chapter 8, 2 Corinthians, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Let's pray together for a moment. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and illuminate your word, enable us to understand it, to grasp it, to speak to us what you would speak to our hearts today. Give us understanding and help us to apply those things that you show us. In Jesus' name, amen. It's important for us to remember that everything which we have learned from the book of James with respect to walking out our faith is only possible through the strength and the grace of God. God has many attributes. An attribute of God is simply put, something that is true about him. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. He is just. One of the attributes of God also is his grace, the grace of God. The grace of God is a multifaceted attribute 
of God. We see it most often probably used with respect to our salvation. One of the often quoted verses in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But the Greek word charis has other shades of related meaning in Scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul speaks of grace. He speaks of the grace of God that has been given to the churches of Macedonia to give generously to help the poverty-stricken Messianic believers in Jerusalem. And he calls on the Corinthian church to excel in this grace of giving. Here the word grace carries the idea, as it often does, but here in particular, of generosity. God is a generous God. We can all say amen to that. He demonstrates his generosity to us by generously giving us of his son to pay the penalty for our sins. He demonstrates his generosity to us by raising him from the dead so that we could have eternal life. He generously meets our needs as individuals. Remember James 1 Five, which I touched on in the very first sermon in this James series. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously without showing, without reproach. He's generous, and he wants his followers to grow in and demonstrate that same generous grace in all aspects of our lives as believers. One of those aspects is giving of what he has given up to us, our resources. The objective today of this message is not to manipulate. The objective today of this message is to challenge. I'm praying the Holy Spirit inspires us and challenges us as a people. And while what I'm sharing today is primarily for the family of God at Emmanuel, if you're a visitor or a new attender, I didn't take notice if there are any visitors here today, what I have to say has a broader application for all believers. And even if you've never come to a place where you faith, placed your faith in Jesus, it can apply to you in certain respects. As a fellowship, Emmanuel is in a place of need regarding finances. It's no secret. Each week we publish in the bulletin what the offering is and what the budget goal is. And while God is supplying and sustaining, you can see the numbers are not always good. Our situation certainly cannot be compared to that which Paul addressed in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're not in the desperate situation that the Jerusalem believers were in. We look to God, who's the Lord of this church body, to meet the needs. We pray for the answers that we need to the situation. But note the principle that is in 2 Corinthians 8. It is that God meets needs through his people. 
However, we are not and should not be looking to another group of believers to meet the needs because a large part of the answer to our financial situation and struggle are within these walls. Maybe not all today, but those who are part of this congregation who call this place home. Let's make some observations from the two, two of the passages in particular from which I read, 2 Corinthians 8 and Exodus 35. The first thing Paul says to the Corinthians is that Macedonia's generosity is a reflection of what God has done for them. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Those in Macedonia had experienced salvation through Jesus, life-changing salvation that was reflected in how they lived and how they gave. It was an act of grace. Secondly, we see that the Macedonians are undergoing a severe trial of their own. Yet, it says, they had an overflow of joy. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Going through severe trial and yet experiencing the joy of the Lord. Remember James chapter 1 again? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, for the testing of your faith develops perseverance. The Macedonian church was enduring through trials, having their faith tested, and yet they were experiencing the joy of the Lord, which is not based on circumstances, but based on relationship with him. His grace gives us that joy. It's our strength, the scripture says. And those things produced in them a generosity, a wealth of generosity on their part. Luke 21, you don't need to change, turn to this, but Luke 21, chapter, verses 1 through 4, we read this. Jesus at the temple. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, or two mites, as it says in the King James Version. And he said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Those in the church in Macedonia, in these cities, in that region, what they offered to the churches and to the believers in Jerusalem was probably not much, but like the widow's might, they gave all that they had, most likely. All they could possibly give. God saw, and he commended them for it through Paul. The Macedonians gave beyond their means. And not only that, they begged Paul to be able to participate in helping the relief of the saints. That may even apply that Paul said, you're so generous, no more. 
but they begged him. They begged him, giving out of their poverty. One other important thing to note is that these believers gave themselves first to the Lord and then to the apostles and to the need. That's further evidence that what they gave flowed out of their relationship with Christ. This is the grace of giving. In the Exodus passage, we see an Old Testament example of the grace of giving. Yes, there is grace in the Old Testament. In chapter 35, we see that God invited the Israelites to participate in the work of constructing the tabernacle. Over and over in this passage, we see the response of the people. Those with willing hearts, those with generous hearts, came and brought what they could and what they had to contribute to the building of the tabernacle. And they gave not only of their resources, but of their time, their talent, their skills to accomplish God's plan. Verse 20 says that all of the congregation was involved, not just a few, not just the wealthy, they all gave. And though it doesn't specifically say so in this passage, we can conclude that these Israelites, like the Macedonians, were giving to God out of what they had received from him. The grace, the grace that set them free from bondage in Egypt and what they brought to help to contribute to the building of the tabernacle, some of that may have been the very things that they received when they plundered Egypt on the way out. They all gave. This is the grace of giving. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he instructs us that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. What we deem most important, what we value the most, what we treasure, will have our heart. So what do we treasure the most? It begs that question. Is it God's kingdom? Is it God's church? Is it God's servants? Or is it something else? I could have made this message this morning about tithing. You notice I don't think I've mentioned the word. I could have made it on tithing and touched on numerous Old Testament scriptures that teach about the tithe. And I didn't do that not because it's not a legitimate study, a topic for a message, because it most certainly is. But I chose instead to focus on these passages in 2 Corinthians and in Exodus. These passages that speak and depict the grace of giving and of giving generously. If we ask ourselves the question, do I have to give 10% of my income? And should it be 10% of my gross income or my net income? Then it can possibly, I say possibly, be rooted in the wrong question we may find ourselves thinking, what is the least amount that I can give and still please God? I've been there. I'll be honest. Not now, but I've been there. I believe 
that we should be asking instead, what is the most that I can possibly give to the Lord? Maybe ask ourselves the question, what must I change about the way I handle my finances so that I can be more generous in my giving? Let's go back as we come to the close to 2 Corinthians. Paul still addressing the Corinthian church about this matter regarding the believers in Jerusalem. And here in chapter 9, he says this. Beginning in verse 6, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let me read that seventh verse again. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Throughout that passage in the book of Exodus, we saw how God had stirred the hearts of the people, those who were stirred in their hearts and those who were willing. It was because of God's grace acting in their lives. And if we allow the grace of God to act in our lives and every aspect of our lives, he's going to stir our hearts and he's going to make us willing to give over and exceeding what we may even think we can give in terms of our time, in terms of our talent, in terms of our resources. He goes on to say, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanksgiving and glory to God flows out of that generous heart and that generous giving. Thanksgiving and glory to God. The chief end of man, the Westminster Catechism says, is to glorify God. God promises a return on your investment. You can't outgive him. He is Jehovah 
Jireh, the God who supplies all our needs. He promised those who followed him, who said, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. He said, if you've given up everything, I promise you, those who've done that will receive much more. Houses, families, riches in this life and in beyond in the life to come. God doesn't need any one of us. He is, one of his attributes, self-sufficient. He invites us, he invites us to participate in his kingdom and his kingdom's work. I listened to a message as I prepared this from Louis Giglio, the pastor of Passion City Church, and he spoke about the absurdity of generosity. And he touched on the story of the man who gave his donkeys to the disciples for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem on. And he spoke about Joseph of Arimathea who gave the tomb to lay the body of Jesus in. And others as well. They were written into the story of the gospel. The woman who knelt down at Jesus' feet, Mary, who broke the expensive bottle of perfume over his feet, gave all that she had, and Jesus said, everywhere the gospel is preached, she'll be remembered. God gives us the opportunity in the giving of our lives and in of our resources to be written into the story that he's writing. One more verse about the Israelites and their giving. And this is in Exodus chapter 36. The workers have come to prepare to begin to build the tabernacle and the people are bringing more and more and more gifts to that end. And finally, the workers go to Moses and they say, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave a command in verse 6, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Oh, to be able to say that. What a blessing. What a blessing. I'm going to call the men forward to prepare for communion. There's no greater example of the abundant grace of God than in the giving of Jesus to the world. And there's no greater example of the abundant grace of God than the supreme sacrifice that he made. So we'll celebrate the Lord's table commemorating that sacrifice, that generous act of grace. And then I want to close the service with a challenge to all of us as a congregation before the benediction. For God so loved 
that he gave. God so loved that he gave and he keeps on giving. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, there can be no better time than now. We sung and spoke of the cross and of his redeeming work and being raised from the dead to to give us eternal life. At the end of the service, come forward and someone will pray for you if you don't know Jesus. Ask him to come in. He gave his life for you. He so loved that he gave, and he keeps on giving. The challenge is before us. The Holy Spirit is speaking today. Forget about Jim DiBiase. The Holy Spirit is speaking today to grow in the grace of giving of ourselves, of our time, of our resources. Giving is an act of worship. Romans chapter 12 says, present yourselves to God as a living sacrifice. Give of yourself and of your resources. You may be here today as one who has given exceedingly and abundantly beyond what most have given. God has seen it, and he commends you for it. You may be here today as one who is like the widow who gave her two mites, or the Macedonian church which gave out of their poverty, and you have little, but you've given all that you can give and continue to do it. God has seen it just as Jesus saw that woman, and he commends you for it. But there are many of us in between, many of us who have given, but God is challenging us to ask him, what more can I give for the glory of your kingdom, for the building up of your church? There are some, perhaps, who have known Jesus for some time, and yet it's been very difficult for you to step out in faith and release resources into his kingdom. The challenge for us today is to ask God, what more can I do? The challenge for us today is to ask him for an abundance of that grace that will enable us to give beyond what even we think we can for the furtherance of his kingdom. Catch the vision of what can happen in this church. The ministry that can take place. The repairs of the facility, yes, but the church 
is not the building. We need a place to meet. But there's so much in ministry that can happen and will happen as we see the resources come. Catch the vision for that.